This is the Sergio Rodriguez Show. Welcome, everybody, to the Sergio Rodriguez Show, a show unlike any other. Today, we get to do something very entertaining, not only for my audience, because according to my guys, every year, for the past four years, they have told me that our demographics are between, or mainly between people ages 32 through 60. So I'm so every now and then I take it back and I bring something that will really be interesting and really be fun for them. I'm going to interview a gentleman by the name of Haywood Nelson. And for some of you guys that might not know him by that name, you're going to know him as Dwayne from what's happening. But the weird thing is that most people don't know that he was on Kojak. He was on Sanford and Son. I mean, he's got a career that spans over 40 years. And to be able to sit down with him today and share some of his life experiences and for him to tell us what's gone on since the what's happening days is going to be a very unique experience, not only for me as a fan of the show, but I'm sure for you guys who listened and actually watched Dwayne slash Haywood Nelson when he performed for us on the TV screen. And joining me right now, one of the truth thespians, one of the truth thespians, a guy who not only was on The White Shadow, Kojak, Sanford and Son, and obviously one of the best sitcoms of my childhood, What's Happening, Mr. Hey Wood Nelson. <laughs> yeah, Sergio. Hello, sir. Thank you so much, man. I'm, I'm honored to be here. Thank you for, you know, taking a little time out so we can spend a little hangout. No, listen, thank you. You know, we've been going back and forth trying to get this done, but I appreciate you, um, you know, finally finding some time for me on a Sunday night to get this done. Yeah, for sure, man. I mean, it took a bit, a bit, but, you know, we all have our schedules. We've all been kind of busy. But um, things, you know, Super Bowl is now uh, a week or so. I mean, I, I don't want to, you know, put too much timeline on this and all, you know, I want no, to remain okay. evergreen. But the truth is we just had the big Super Bowl and it just passed and things are slightly quieting down before the Screen Actors Guild Awards come in another week. So this is a perfect time. So this is the first time that we've spoken on the air together. Um, take me back. You were a New York guy. How did this acting thing begin for you? Because, you know, it's weird. I, I don't know. I, I haven't spoken to many actors that have told me from day one, that's what I wanted to do. A lot of them tell me they actually wanted to be athletes. Where where did you start? Um, you know, I started as a child, as a kid, man. Um, many, many years ago, uh, I had a relative that worked in a capacity that allowed her to have a, a co-worker who happened to have a sister who was a manager and, uh, you know, account, you know, artist management. And I guess, you know, she had started a, a, her agency and her name was Kathy Dowd, uh, this four foot 11 Irish woman. And she had an agency or you know, a management company and was looking to expand. And of course she was, you know, like, you know, she wanted a, a, some, some children of color. So I guess her relative went on his job and asked my godmother, 
And she said, well, I have a God sign, but let me find out and I'll get back to you. And I remember I was young, I was like, what, five, going on six. What what year was she, this? What year was this? Late 60s? 1965 and 66. Okay. Uh, I was born in 1960. Okay. Um, and I remember she was speaking to my mom and then my mom said, well, you know, she told me who it was and said, you know, uh, she wants to know if you want to be on television. I said, what do you mean, mom? You know, and she says like that. And she pointed to the TV. It was a commercial was on, you know, and on, you know, something like that. And I, I shrugged my shoulders. Like, I don't know. Okay. I don't, I mean, yeah. So we went and met Kathy Dowd and, and Kathy Dowd and I hit it off. We just right away from, from moment one, we were just, we got along famously. And she began, she set me up for some photo shoots and, uh, got the pictures out and bam, I started going to auditions like right away and booking commercials. So through the 1960s, I booked most of the like really popular kids toys, you know, things like Rock'em Sock'em Robots and, and Hot Wheels, Johnny Lightning and, you know, and then um, from there, you know, like some of the old camera, you know, Kodak and Polaroid and, and Campbell's Soup, uh, what was the campaign? Mmm, good. You yeah. know, and, and mmm, good. Mmm, that's Campbell's Soup, so I'm good. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and then I, then that got me Libby. So I was doing Libby's, Libby's, Libby's on the label, label, label. You will like it, like it, like it on the table, table, table. Because it's Libby's, Libby's, Libby's on the label, label, label. <laughs> Man, you still remember that jingle? Thing. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's burned in. I can't get it out. And that led fast to me getting more auditions for films. I remember Lawrence, well, you know, at the time, Lawrence Fishburne, uh, Giancarlo Esposito, Ralph Carter, uh, and me. We were all there together, friends. Our mothers were friends. Wow. And we used to see each other at the auditions all the time. Also, there's a family in New York called the McWilliams family. And so John McWilliams, all, all of the, the uh, McWilliams siblings who were all there, Susan, all of us together. But John was my age. So, you know, Lawrence Fishburne, Giancarlo, Ralph, Ralph Carter, me, John, you know, uh, McWilliams. We all saw each other on a regular basis. You know, you go to school, you get out of school early. Uh, I was living in Harlem at the time. And then as I got to be about eight or nine, we moved to Long Island. So, you know out of school early at like one o'clock on the bus and the train, the F train into the city and then go to auditions. And I would see all of them and we would all audition. So Lawrence Fishburne and I did a, a, a movie called, uh, uh, if you give a dance, you got to pay the band. And, uh, so we did that. Uh, Moses Gunn was the actor that starred in it. And, uh, and then from there I got a film called mixed company and mixed company. Uh, I auditioned. <laughs> the story that goes behind that one is that, you know, the kid was pretty, pretty kind of a tough, tough kid, you know? Uh, I wasn't, wasn't really, you know, I mean, I had my toughness about me, but you know, and even you always, you home, always look like a pretty boy. I don't know about that growing up. <laughs> I, was pudgy, I was a pudgy kid, you know? Um, but the thing that I did do growing up was I was a motocross rider. I rode uh, motocross and mini bikes and then into motocross. 
So, you know, that was my thing. I'm racing. I've always loved racing. I still race today. I love racing. But so that was my thing. But, you know, street fighting, you know, shorts. I had to always fight. You had no choice. I'm, I'm, I, was a, I was real small for my age. Everybody thought they didn't pick on me. So I, I learned early on, uh, knock them out first. <laughs> Take the biggest one out and the rest will leave you alone and want to be your friend the, later. The first punch ends a lot of fights. Yeah. Who wants to fight? I don't like fighting. I'm a lover, not a fighter. I don't want to sit there swinging and fighting and out of breath and on the ground scrapping. No, knock it out quick and easy and move on. That's that was my philosophy. And uh, plus, I was too small. The big guys would crush me. So anyway, I you know I ended up getting mixed company, which is this little bad bad kid, little wild dude, and he had a bad mouth. And so when I'm in the audition, I did my audition and I really rocked it. And the director, Mel Shaverson, says, that was excellent, Hayward. Here's what I want you to do. He says, you like boxing? I said, yeah, yeah, I, I, I like boxing. My dad and I, we be checking boxing. And he goes, yeah, yeah, so you got to let your hands go. Do you know what that means? I said, yeah, like open up, right? Open up. So he said, yeah, let your hands go. I want you to do it again. I want you to let your hands go. I went, all right. And I knew what he wanted. But my mom is sitting on the other side of the door. I can't be going running foul mouth all loud. My mother's from Barbados, West Indian. <laughs> I'll get it. I won't survive this. But I wanted the role. So I unleashed. I, I let my hands go. And I mean, I my mouth was every bit of what I learned at Harlem. <laughs> and I got the movie. <laughs> and uh, later my mom told me, I heard you. It's okay. You were acting. Just don't try that at home. I went, okay, mom. And uh, I did that movie, and that really did it for me because that started me on a path to Broadway. And I ended up on Broadway with uh, Valerie Harper. And then from there, uh, Marlo Thomas. And uh, and a whole host of Dick Van Patten, you know, it was just a whole host of other actors. And um, after being on Broadway for almost two years, um, I got picked up to go and audition for Good Times. Really? And I auditioned for, yeah, I auditioned for quite a while. Got which which role? Michael's role? Michael, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Bernadette Stannis and I were the last two screen testing together. And went really well. And I remember she and my mom and I flew back to New York. She lives in Brooklyn. And uh, for the most part, we knew we got it. Then they let me go. And because Norman Lear had seen Ralph Carter. Ralph was in Raisin. And he had a lot more experience with a live audience being on Broadway. So they hired Ralph and they let, they released me. I was a little disappointed, but you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. They did exactly the right thing. Ralph Carter is the perfect Michael for good times, not me. He was. He was. They needed someone a little bit perfect. militant. Yeah, he was. Yeah. He was good. He was perfect for that. Perfect casting. They did a great job. And... Um, it wasn't shortly thereafter that, that Bud Yorkin came and sold me on Broadway and took me out to go be on Sanford and Son and the spinoff on Grady. Correct. Uh, his best friend Grady. I played the grandson. Correct. Let's and, stop right. Do me a favor. Stop right there for a second. So speak to me about the difference between Broadway and being on TV. Uh, night and day. Broadway is the real deal. 
you 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 know the, from a thespian standpoint, you know the, the the characterizations and the acting and the preparation is still the same. However, once you get out there, there's no stopping. There's no cut. Let's go back and do it again. A lot of people, yeah. a lot of people that do Broadway as part of their acting career, tell me that they enjoy acting on stage more than TV. Are you the same? Absolutely, hundred percent. Interesting. It's much, much more visceral. You feel it. You know, it's organic. It gets in your bones. You can really, and plus, your the tempo because there is no stop and redo. You've got a live audience in front of you. They're they're captivated. You are responsible to that audience. You are responsible to deliver to them authenticity. If you screw up your line, it's not the end of anything. You still got to keep going on because in real life, we make mistakes. In real life conversations, we misspeak. And then we re-speak. You don't stop and say, oh, let me go back and do this again. You keep going. Same thing on stage. You keep going because you got a people out there that you're responsible to. And there's a beauty to the tempo. This is just my opinion. There's a beauty to the tempo of theater that allows the actors to play off of each other, very similar to the, to the bebop jazz era where they improv. Improvisation is very difficult. You can be a music master, but you may not know how to improv. Correct. And then even if you know how to improv, you better be a music master. So music masters may or may not know how to improv, but people who improv better know a lot about music too because it's the count and the timing. And even though you're, you're improv improvisationally doing what you do, you got to still have some feel for the timing of your other uh, musicians that are with you so that you can all come back. I play drums. My dad taught me to play jazz drums. That's my main thing. Well, he taught me jazz drums, but I kind of have more of a, a affinity for jazz rock fusion. That's just me. Got it. But um, similarly with the acting, there's that improv thing that happens. Even though you're on the lines and you're not really improving, there's a tempo and, and, a, and a feeling between you and the other artist. And from night to night on Broadway, no two performances are the same. That's the great. nuances of change from night to night has to do with the temperature outside, how many people are in the audience, what did you have for lunch, how do you feel today? One actor might be in good mood, the other one in a bad mood. Somebody might be, not be feeling well. I did Broadway with the flu. So surely that performance was very different than weeks prior when I had no flu. So it changes from, from performance to performance, and you have to learn to move like an improvisational jazz player within that those changes yet still stay true and authentic to the story and the playwright i love it so, i love it it's, it's, it's awesome so 1976 rolls around and what's happening jumps on the air take me yeah, to the well, good i'm sorry yeah i was just gonna say grady got canceled in 10 weeks oh wow big big disappointment you think you made it and then in the tenth week, they're like, "Yeah, ratings are bad. Uh, network just canceled you, and you head back home." And that's a trip because it's a disappointment. You think you're there, you th and that's when I learned early on: don't get the big head, don't trip. It's a job, it's a gig, it's a profession, and there's a career. 
You do the best you can. You give it everything you got, and then and don't expect it to last forever. You're foolish if you do. So I learned, and then I went back home, back to school, back to my motocross, all of that, only to be told I have an audition. Um, Whitman Mayo, who played Grady, correct? he came and pulled me aside and said, look, there's this thing getting ready to go down in New York, and I want you to read for it. You've got to go back to New York. I said, okay. So back to New York, and they used to shoot the $100,000 pyramid in a Broadway theater. Walked in, you could see the $100,000 pyramid, which was the game show. Yeah. You could see all that up on the stage and in the uh, orchestra, filled with heads, like three, 400 people. I'm like, oh, wow. I'm like, mom, look at all these people. I got to read against all these people. And anyway, my turn, you know, it was funny because I saw Mabel King, who played Mama. She was on stage auditioning in the same role that Shirley got. Uh, Daniel Spencer, D, was on stage as D. And then they called me up, and I went and did my little piece. And, uh, of course, it wasn't what's happening. It was Cooley High, like the movie Cooley High. Um, So my character was Pooter at the time. And uh, after I came back down, the same producers from Grady were there. But Yorkin, Saul Turtletop was there. Bernie Orenstein wasn't there, but I remember seeing Bud and I remember seeing Saul Turtletop. And they came up to me and said, we loved it. You got it. You're back on the plane, back to L.A. I mean, it's like a couple of days. We're back on the plane, back in California. <laughs> and it was like, yo, I just got home. I got a girlfriend. Come on. How committed, anyway. how committed. It's, it's incredible how. So I've been coaching softball for damn near 30 years now. And I tell all my kids that it's such a commitment from not only the, 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 the child who's doing it, but the entire family. I have two children. Sure. I have two boys myself who play one who's a, a junior in high school. And I have a son playing football in college and the same thing, right? It's a family commitment. How much of a commitment yeah. was it for you with the going back now as an adult, right? You think back, Man, you must have had phenomenal parents, how committed they were to your success. Yeah, big sacrifice on, on the part of my family. Um, you know, my mom ran with me every day to auditions in the city, and we lived in Long Island. Uh, prior to that, we were running up and down in, in, in the cold in the streets of Harlem on the train, you know. But either way, my mom ran with me to all auditions, but my younger brother, I have to give him credit, Gary, Gary ran also, you know, he, he was right there the whole time, and he was acting at the same time as well, so my mom had two that were acting, and, um, but my dad really kind of went through it, because once I got what's happening, you know, I'm in Los Angeles now, my mom and I, and my brother and my father are left back in New York together, then my mother brought my brother out, with us. So it was my mom, my brother and I are in California. My dad was left alone, going to work every day, coming back home to an empty house. And that was tough on him. I can sure. imagine. I can imagine. Um, you know, his wife was gone. You know, he, he was driving a bus at the time, uh, right there by what used to be Shea Stadium. Uh, and we're now, you know, Met Life Stadium is, but right where Shea Stadium was, right there was the depot. Yeah. And, uh, and the guys that he worked with made fun of him. 
You know, they told him, yeah, your wife is out there in Hollywood. She living the life without you. You know she was somebody else, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's got to be rough as a guy. It's rough. I know, I know. So now, what's happening? You guys start re- filming this. Did you think that it was going to end up being this thing that was still going to be played on, on TV 40 years later in syndication? Or, or I mean, was there a vibe? I know guys sometimes will say, hey, from day one, I knew we had a hit. What what was your feeling? I mean, you had a lot of good actors in it, but did you think it was going to take off the way it did? There's no way you could ever have any kind of a, a indication you know, that it's going to be what it became. There's just no way. However, the first reading, we all met at this bank in one of their big conference rooms that they had rented with a long table, all the furniture, and, you know, a long table with chairs. Correct. And everybody came in, and we all met each other, and I can can say, you know, without any hesitation, from the instant, we all felt like family. Instantly. Everybody. Now you know what I Shirley found. I. You know what I. You know what I found interesting. Um, and again, people, whoever's listening to this and is younger than thirty-five, has to understand that we didn't grow up in the social media era. We didn't grow up in the Google area, so it took years. It took magazines and stuff like that for me to find out that you were only sixteen, seventeen when this happened. But yet 15. everybody else. Okay, so you were fifteen. But yeah, Raj, they were ten years older, correct. But Ernest, Ernest Thomas, who played Raj and Fred Berry, were in their mid twenties playing high school students. You know, a lot of right. people don't realize. I, I even remember having a conversation during an interview I did about Ralph Macchio. Also, when he did the Karate Kid, he was in his twenties, and people don't yeah. realize sometimes. So you don't realize age and how it's going, but you were. In, in a lot of instances, living a different part of your life than these guys had. How was that? Yeah, that that was, um, I mean, I was used to it, but, you know, Danielle Spencer and I had to go to school. Correct. So we show up in the morning for the morning read and meeting, reading the script. And then we, we were often too. We were in you know, study because we, were, we uh, were required to do four hours a day. Once the four hours were complete, then I, because of my age, I could go down and work on the, st- on the stage and on the set. So they just kept my scenes until later in the afternoon, which gave me a chance to finish class. Danielle was younger, so she couldn't come, you know, she, it was limited how much work she could actually do, and then she had to be given a break. Um, but yeah, we, you know, that, that was our day, you know, and, and the hard part for me was, do I have to go to school? I had to study. I had to still pass my grades, take my tests and my exams, and learn my lines. And that, that, that was tough. I got to be honest. That, that was really, really tough. Um, I could have been a much better student in school had I just done it. Uh, as a result, I was just average in, in school. You know, my, my, my numbers, my GPA was average. <clears throat> you know, it's, it's funny that a lot. Attendance was bad. As long as that. As long as you, you you think about that the you know that program and how great what's happening was, it only lasted three years. And you guys did yeah. something like sixty something episodes. But to me, it seemed like a lifetime. Right? Thinking about 
the show and how it was going in that third year. Later in the later years, it came out that a lot of the issues was uh, monetarily on the side of Fred Berry. When when that happened, did you guys have any ill will towards Fred or 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 what was that whole process like? When you know when the show ended, well, I was very close to Fred. First of all, he's a brother. Um, we spent a lot of time in San Francisco. I spent a lot of time in San Francisco with he and his wife. We used to ride horses on the beach together. We used to go to jazz concerts all the time in Berkeley, you know, and just kind of take our cameras, our, our Minoltas, and, 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 and go out and shoot pictures, you know, and develop them. You know, he was, my, he was a good friend of mine. I, um, uh, Ernest Thomas, another uh, good friend, you know. I mean, however, there's a lot of ill will. Um, Shirley Hempel didn't speak to, to – it wasn't just Fred. It was also Ernest. Correct. They both walked off of the show. And Shirley didn't speak to them for quite a while. I was very close with Shirley. We, we were really tight. Um, yeah, she didn't talk to them for like a, a year while we were shooting. Um, or just walking off, you know, because then she and I had to carry the show. It was kind of tough. Uh, but, you know, I, I come from a different school. Like, you know, first of all, I understand the need to be paid what you are worth. And when it comes to like a Fred Berry, you know, the rerun character is a pretty big character. You it know? was. We, it we, was. We leaned on rerun often. Especially early. Especially early, whether it was with the fat jokes or with his All dancing. With his dancing. He was a phenomenal. Let me tell you something. For a big guy, he moved well. He was incredible. He was like, a, you see the NFL guys that, that do back, you know, backflips, hands free. He could do that on a regular basis. He was really, really agile, really good dancer. And plus, he was a rock star. I mean, he was with the lockers. He, he already had been on Johnny Carson long before what's happening. He already had, he and Tony, Tony Basil and, you know, and Shabadoo and, and all them cats, they, they already were on tour, you know, out there. They were opening up for big acts. So he already had that rock star mentality, you know, when he came on. Um, but it's it's sad though because I come from a, remember from New York New York actor you know pounding the pavement uh, mom and brother bag on my back with my clothes in it you know just for changing wardrobe on Broadway I was used to a whole different thing altogether so that by the time we got to the show it was not a novelty to me it's another one of my responsibilities it's a job. And I have a job to do, and I was grateful to have it. And, you know, I, I understand they fought because I was being paid more than they were because I had more experience with uh, Mabel King and I. So our contracts, you know, we had a really good contract. So we were getting paid better, and I understand that they need it. But there's a way to go about it. Correct. And we have so many examples of other television series who have exercised that same way. We have examples of what not to do. We have examples of what to do. You know, uh, may she rest in peace. We lost Suzanne Summers not long ago. But it's an example of what wasn't the right way to do it. She ended up off of Three's Company, you know, and never on another series like it. She went on to do many, many other things, but the show was never the same. It wasn't. The show, she was part of that, that trio that was needed, you know? So, there. but then you have, you know, Friends and all these other shows that, that banded together. 
Big Bang Theory and others that banded together to get their monies that they felt were commensurate with the kind of popularity, uh, time and commitment they put in, as well as uh, the type of uh, revenue that was being generated for the network. So had, I believe, Ernest and Fred not be as young and green as they were, they might have taken a different approach, have us all sit and have a talk with each other, get through three or four seasons. Because they see, and here, here's the thing. So, you know, I tell people all the time, you know, because, you know, when we talk about what I do today and what I've been doing in my life, you know, I, I'm no longer in like show business. I always tell them I'm in business show, which is kind of cliche, but it's true. I studied the business of the entertainment industry first and then develop and concept and create or curate, whichever, a show. You got to understand the business first. Had they been older, a little more experienced, they probably would understand the nature of how the show is set up as a business mechanism, as a revenue generator. And you realize that you have to do at least four seasons back then. That Correct. was network then. The game has changed so much today with streaming and such. But back then, you had to do at least four, four seasons. If you do four seasons strong, now that's what they call jumping the shark. The hardest thing for a show to do is to make it from the fourth season to the fifth season because usually the writing gets plateaued and goes flat. Yeah, that's what made shows like The Jeffersons so great back then, right? That it was Incredible. able to. Yeah. You know, two of my favorite episodes, and I want to ask you what your favorite episode was. But two of my favorite episodes were obviously, and everybody always talks about the Doobie Brothers episode. That's you know, it. That, that, <laughs> that was it. I mean, which Doobie you be? <laughs> That's right. That's a great line. But let me tell you something. The funniest line that you had in that show came in my favorite episode. Remember the episode, remember the episode in season two where you guys had to break into the school to because uh, Raj gave the gift to your teacher. Right. Mm -hmm. And rerun, you guys asked rerun how he got into the school. And he said he stood on a, he stood on a garbage can that was outside the window. And you said, it must be a wastebasket now. <laughs> I thought that was, uh, let me line. tell you something. I still, every time I watch that episode, I laugh at that line. Like yeah, it was, I don't know. And I don't know if it was your laugh afterwards, but it, I still laugh. Like it was the first time I saw it. I, I, and there's so many different ones and lines. I mean, with whether it be Dwayne picking uh, uh, teams by the color of the, of the helmet and, and reruns brother-in-law bet all his money on it and yes. then find out that, that the full proof is, is, is color of helmet. Color That's helmet. funny. I remember. I that. like uh, the one where they they um, they have to they're gonna try to bid on the mini bike at the church and get somebody to to, to bid higher than them. Correct. So they can make the money on it, and Dwayne bids, and they bid, and then the other person bids, and then Dwayne bids again, and they award it to Dwayne, and he's screaming, it's mine, it's mine. <laughs> yeah, I and remember that. It's like, you know. That was uh, great. And, then, and listen, obviously, and, no Roger, no rerun, no rent. I mean, me and my friends stuff. still use that line from yeah, season yeah, three. Yeah, yeah. That that was <laughs> that was great. You know, why? I, I like, you know, 
Go ahead. Wait, wait, check this one. Uh, I guess they had to party and they weren't supposed to. And the girl's parents came home. Yes. And Dwayne goes to the bathroom and he comes out and he sees the, the girl there and he taps her shoulder and says, you want to do the hustle? Yeah. And she turns around and, it, and she's older. It's the girl's mother. It's he the goes, girl's mom, yeah. sure you don't want to do the wall? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, man. Oh, man. I mean, that was phenomenal. You know, they canceled the show in 79. But then, you know, what's happening now comes back in 1985. And so here's the difference. I caught the reruns of what's happened. I was born in 74. So I my when I was like six or seven, my 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 older siblings used to watch what's happening now. They were watching reruns, but the show had only been off the air two years at that time. Yeah. The funny thing is that I got a chance to watch what's happening when it came back. I was pumped because now I was 11 years old when it came back. And not only did it come back, but it came back with you, Fred Berry, Ernest Thomas, Shirley, uh, D. Right. So it was like having the show all over again. But now I'm seeing new stuff because I felt like I had seen the previous three years, 9000 times. Right. From what's happening. Yeah. Now I'm seeing new shows. It's still the same guys. You were my favorite actor on the show. So I loved it because I got a chance to see you and you got a more expanded role or a different role. Right. Because there was different role. They changed Dwayne. Dwayne became more of a, a technical geek. Correct. Some kind of a technical nerd kind of a guy. Yeah. And, um, um, which it, is cool. Yeah. But then I still miss the other cool aspect of Dwayne where, you know, he had common sense. He wasn't going out there in the dark. But he what happened? Smart. What <laughs> happened in those six years between 79 and 85? Were you still acting? Were you into it? Were you, they had you moved on and then they called you back? What, what, what happened I there? Actually, I, um, after the show was over, you know, it was devastating to be honest with you. I mean, and just to be uh, um, transparent as possible, economically, it was devastating. Never saw it coming. Show was doing really well. And then all of a sudden, they started moving us all around, and then bingo, bingo, they, they, they slam us and cancel us. I had just bought a house. You know, just got a brand new car. My parents and my brother all set up. And it was just devastating. So I had to try to quickly navigate how to get through all of that. Um, I did a lot of things, man. I, went, I was a, a shipmate on a fishing boat, you know, untangling uh, lines and, and tying hooks and filleting fish on the way back just to make extra dough, you know. Um, but then I ended up getting in a movie called Evil Speaks along with uh, Clint Howard. You know, many, many may know Clint Howard, you know, uh, Gentle Ben and, uh, Ron Howard is his brother. You know, he's a great actor. He's a you know water boy. He's been in a number of different films. So we did this movie together, and I used that money to try and level the family off financially. Correct. And and pay it forward for myself because I wanted to go to college. So I broke out, left L.A., went back to the East Coast, got back to my roots uh, in Connecticut, and went to architectural school. And then I transferred to uh, Pratt Institute in Brooklyn, in New York, and for electrical engineering. And went to school for electrical engineering, tried to graduate, but they, they called us back to do what's happening now. Um, in the interim, I also did a little bit of acting here and there, a couple commercials, um, you know, a milk commercial, things like that. Um, I had done a talk show for a little bit called That Teen Show. And then 
they call they they contracted us for what's happening now. So I ended up leaving uh, Pratt early. I was like in my third year, and I left and headed back to LA and started what's happening now. Now, when yeah. you and guys went there, when you guys went back, more money yeah. was it? Was it a guaranteed number of seasons? No. How was the contract? Yeah, it was a guaranteed three seasons. Much less money, low money, low pay, because it was syndicated. It wasn't the same as the original series. In fact, the whole season of what's happening now was uh, uh, about equivalent to uh, just a couple of the what's happening episodes. It was low budget. Interesting. Um, and, you know, it's tough. To understand the business now, I know why it all went down. Because they canceled the show prematurely. They shouldn't have canceled it. But they were tired of dealing with the nonsense. You know? They got to deal with Fred. They got to deal with Ernest. It was really, really a problem. Um, more Fred. His ego, too. And so they canceled the show to get the headache off of their back. Uh, and then they realized, oh, we did it too soon. We don't have enough episodes to syndicate. You got to have 100 episodes. They had no choice but to bring it back. Correct. Brought us back in to do three years of 22, you know, tw 22 each year. And then that would bring us above the 100. So, um, you know, was, I understood when I agreed and I signed the contract, I started looking at the money. I realized it's okay. I see what this is. This is syndication. This is lower than net network. But by that point, I had been in school spending up all my money. I had worked as a lumberjack. I had worked at uh, Dunkin' Donuts. I told you I, I worked on a boat as a shipmate. Money was tight. Books are expensive. Tuition, I said, I got to get back in there. But bigger than the money, I wanted to get back in the game because I saw technology coming. Correct. And of course, I'm in school for engineering, so I'm watching the tech, and I'm like, ooh, something's going on here. This technology is getting ready to come in and mix with the industry. I could see it. I said, I got I to get back in here. So while we were doing what's happening now, I was a technical director on the show. The lower money didn't bother me because I was picking up the opportunity I needed uh, and the knowledge I needed behind the scenes. And then from there, the moment the show was over and it wasn't canceled, we were only supposed to do three years and we did. When it was over, I immediately went into uh, cinematography and became an assistant in camera and started working on movies uh, as you know, focus puller, pulling focus on cameras and stuff and um one thing led to another i ended up in film distribution a friend of mine who actually worked with me on on evil speaks he was the accountant a uh, lifelong friend andy howard we got together and uh, along with aaron norris chuck norris's brother we had, we had a tanglewood entertainment a film distribution company to di distribute chuck's films to the foreign market but also to uh, develop or acquire other films, lesser films, and attach them to Chuck's when it goes to the foreign market. So, you know, we spent our time in France, going, you know, going to Cannes, not the film festival. We went to the sales market. We were working. Time, you know? Yeah. In there working, selling film and, and selling it to different territories, Germany and Australia and, and all of that. And then coming back and, and shooting Chuck films and going back and distributing. So I did that for quite a while until the first dot-com. And I had no choice. I had to leave with my film and, my, and all of that and go into the dot-com because with my education and my knowledge of technology and where I knew it was going to head, I had to jump in the game, and I did. 
And uh, throughout the 90s, um, you know, I, I stayed in distribution a little bit to uh, Francophone w West Africa, the French-speaking territories. Um, but I ended up just going full-on internet right up through till 9-11, to the point where I, was, I became the CEO of my own company, you know, funding it on Wall Street and the whole bit. And um, ran it right to 9-11, shut it down then because uh, our contracts were hospitality-based. And Correct. Well, if you can imagine, there was nobody staying in anything. So. Hey, you don't have to tell me, man. I'm, I'm here. I mean, I mean I'm in the ground. I mean, I yeah. live in Jersey, but I ran the Taxi Federation at that time in New York. And it was, okay. you know, so, you know, yeah, you don't have to tell me. You know, yeah, what, somebody, bad, man. You know what somebody reminded me today was that on what's happening now, Martin Lawrence was on and I had forgotten that until somebody I mentioned to somebody hey I'm interviewing Haywood Nelson he was like oh ask him about Martin did you interact with Martin yeah so sure yeah they brought Martin and Ken Sagos on in in the third season Ken Sagos uh is an incredible writer as well as an actor uh, but they brought them in and, um, yeah, we interacted, you know, somewhat, uh, you know, my character in passing, you know, in the soda shop, mainly they focused on the two of them as young guys, uh, in the soda shop and working along with Shirley. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, you know, we had some scenes together and stuff. Yeah. So, you know, Martin is, uh, quite a different guy today than he was back then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, He's got a little bit more yeah. money now than he did. <laughs> yeah. He quite a bit more money but also he settled down a lot and he's he's a lot more mature and a lot more calm back then he was he was pretty wild he's a wild cat man i mean just i'm when i say wild I, I you know not not in the way that i think a lot of people may think wild in the sense of his, his ego was just unchecked correct and therefore that makes it tough to get work done you know um you, you know, he's such a funny person. He's so good, so talented. Uh, but when you're doing a show, it's not time for him to do his routine. It's time to get the show done. And if he's doing his routine in the middle of the show, that means we've got to keep stopping and go back and do it again. And it just added to the workload of everybody else. So that didn't, that didn't go over so well with me. Um, but then later in life, I, when I got to see more of his work, I realized how talented he is, and that's why. It's like putting a, a bird in a cage, you know? It's easy. What's happening was a cage to Martin Lawrence. It was a launching pad, and Correct. he has to thank Shirley Hemphill for that. She gave him, she got him that break. But it still was a cage to a guy like that. He needed to get his break out and to become all that we know him to be today. So, yeah, so Martin, you know, and I saw Martin, you know, not long ago. We went to a boxing match in downtown L.A. together. And we sat together at the boxing match. They brought us in the middle of the ring and introduced us and all. You know, we're cool. You know, I'm, I I didn't make it for his Hollywood Walk of Fame induction. But, um, yeah, yeah, we're good. You know, I'm good with Martin. A couple of things before we wrap it up here. Um, Ernest Lee Thomas, one of my favorite actors on TV. His laugh, his energy. Um, I mean, I always felt that he was undercasted in a lot of, for a lot of roles, he could have, he should have done more with his talent. And I don't know if it's due to, I mean, obviously a lot of his drug issues, which are public. Mm -hmm. It's not like we're putting out something yeah, that's sure. not. Yeah, um, sure. But man, when I, even the job that he did on Malcolm X, 
I mean, and, yeah. and, and awesome. I mean, he he is a phenomenal actor. He really very is very underrated. He's a, a Broadway actor, you know. He's a thespian. He's very talented, um, and uh, and he's also a really really special person to spend time with spiritually. He's just what a, what a love. He's a love guy. He loves people, man. He he, he gives a lot of love. He um and, and 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 you know on his Instagram you see many people talk about he gives the best hugs. He's just a he's a lover. He's a good guy. He's a good dude. He's been through a lot. He's done a lot to himself. He's admitted it, but he's come full circle and helped so many since that. It's just an incredible person. He's my brother. He's a friend. We spent a lot of time together. We're being honored uh, in L.A. at the Biltmore Hotel on March uh, the second. Uh, he, Daniel Spencer, and I. Oh, a that's big night. great. That's great. I, yeah, I'll, yeah. Uh, send me something. I'll promote it. You know the yeah, sure. the, the he obviously dealt with his demons. Fred Berry too. How did you stay out of that? I mean, because you were running around in the same circle. That's where I think maybe the age difference might have helped, right? Because you still had a lot of parental support. Yeah, I mean, it could have been that, you know, the age. But then when you take a look at uh, Ty Bridges and Dana Plato, you, you say, oh, well, maybe not. You're right. Right? We all were kind of like the same kind of age in the same situation. Did you interact Mine, much with them? Tribute. Oh, yeah, sure. Absolutely. Knew them well. All of them. I still Ty Bridges Todd. seems like a good dude. Good dude, man. Come on. I love Todd. He's a good guy, man. I talk to him, you know, on occasion here and there. You know, we call each other. We've got each other's phone numbers kind of hang out and talk a little bit yeah How, how's guy. danielle spencer she had a for those who don't know she had a, a car accident and you know how has she been after that um you, you know she's had a very hard time got it she's had to deal with a lot of the complications of that um danielle is a brilliant brilliant person you know she's a doctor um she's a veterinarian she had a huge practice. Um, and she always was a veterinarian, even when she was a kid. <laughs> she <laughs> loved animals. And, um, she, you know, but she, she had to leave her practice, you know, to deal with her health. You know, and it, uh, it, it's really messed with her legs and her back and the whole bit. The accident as a child, it has continued on to uh, give her a challenge. She deals with it well. Um, she's dealing with it. She's doing uh, all that she can. She's had some other health issues also, but she's come through on the other side and she's a fighter. She'll be there with us at the Biltmore on, on March the 5th. So, I mean, March 2nd. So, you know, that's, that's most important and that she, Ernest and I will be together is probably the most important to me. She, like me, stayed out of the fray and all of the problems. And I have to attribute it on my side to my mother and my family. They <laughs> They're from the Caribbean. Amen. And listen, <laughs> me too. My parents, my, I'm Dominican. I'm Dominican, so you don't have to. Yeah, so you, you know. know. We have rules, you know. <laughs> There's rules, man, and you don't cross those lines. Your grandma will be in your face real quick. Amen, amen. So <laughs> so, so what do you do? So out. what does Haywood Delson do now? I mean, if I'm a fan of what's happening, see, it's easier for me because I have a platform to interact with you, but... If 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 I wanna if I'm a fan of Haywood Nelson out there, where do I follow? What is he doing? What's going on? Yeah, well, I would say just hold on to your bootstraps <laughs> <laughs> because I'm very busy behind the scenes. 
I've been behind the scenes for a while. I gave a little bit of it in this interview, but it's even more so now. Um, I've been ahead of my time, and now technology has caught up, and AI as well. So we, you know, I'm, I'm part of a, a couple of efforts that involve technology that are entertainment-based and education-based. Uh, one such company is uh, Mozart Technologies and uh, MozartTech.com. So it's M-O-T-E-S-A-R-T. T-E-C-H.com. MozartTech.com is a company I have with my nephew. Um, and we're busy funding that now for education and AI using music to help students learn. To help them to learn music, but also to use the same techniques with the artificial intelligence to learn all academic areas, to, 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 for training. Um, it's also for corporate. Um, so we're busy with that. Um, we're very busy in production, uh, doing things, you know, in, in production, getting set up now. And then I'm also back to my acting career. That has taken off. And, uh, yeah, I'm auditioning like crazy. I'm reading. I'm talking in discussions and packaging me into different things. So I'm kind of doing it all uh, at this point. But I also keep a very strong finger on the pulse of the business side and the distribution side of production. And uh, but through the use of technology so it just just hang on you'll be able to see it, it, everything i do will be very very publicly uh, uh available and um but yeah it's a it's a, it's a joy to still be around and to have my health um i'm in an incredible relationship in my life so you know um that keeps me grounded and keeps me very happy and keeps me motivated so I'll keep going Hey, what I can't thank you enough, man. I mean, I asked you for 20 to 25 minutes and you gave me 45 and I could do two hours because you're just easy to speak to. And, and, and again, as a guy who basically would run home to watch TV, you were, you were a babysitter and a, a, a friend, you know, to a lot of people, including myself growing up. So I thank you for, for what you did, which you obviously have no idea, but you meant a lot to a lot of people on TV, particularly the people of my age group. Well, it's an honor to be that. As I said at the beginning of, you know, earlier when we were talking, it's, 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 it's an honor and it's always been something very positive and it feeds back to me so much so that I can um, take that forward to create the next phase of what I'm about to do. My brother, I appreciate you, and let's get you on when things start developing. Let's get you back on to promote your business. Sergio, I will be back to hang out with you, my brother, and I appreciate this time, and please tell your family hello for me. I will. That was Haywood Nelson, one of the best actors of the late 70s and early 80s joining me and we can't thank him enough for taking time out from his schedule and you've been listening to the Sergio Rodriguez show a show unlike any other